Welcome back, everybody, to your creativity. Um, this is Dylan with a couple of ladies on International Women's Day. It was not initially planned that way, but it, it turned out that way. Um, we are here today with uh, Kara Burrell. She's also on, known online as Nuance Ho, and she is a, the co-host of the Mormon Stories podcast and, and so much more. Welcome, Kara. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. I'm also joined today by my partner in crime on the Ask the Stripper podcast. Molly, how are you? I'm good. I just I just woke up. I'm a little sleepy, but I'm good. <laughs> well, it's good to podcast with you again. We wrapped up um, production of Ask the Stripper quite a while ago, and the episodes are flown out. I hope everybody's enjoying them, but th thanks for coming on. Um, the reason I asked you to join is um, Mormon stories. They talk a lot about um, post-Mormon life and, you know, everybody's stories about that. So since um, you have stories along that line, I thought it would be a good person to include. Um, so Kara, um, how did you get involved with Mormon stories and yeah. How did I start working at Mormon Stories? And yeah. how did all of this come about? Yeah. Um, I had no intention on, I've been never a career woman. I was very, your typical, like, became a nanny after high school and was really good at that and just got married and just had kids. And I've never once, like, went to school or really cared to pursue working outside the home. So this all kind of came as, like, a strange like exciting surprise so um I've always been very like funny and creative and uh met my husband doing stand-up so I always have had that in my wheelhouse but never really had a lot of ways to express it myself because I've either been working or with kids but uh in 2020 I downloaded TikTok and uh the algorithm just knows you so well and it just started showing me ex-Mormon content and I liked a lot of it and I also felt like I could contribute a lot of good like extra satire and humor um to that space but I just I had a newborn I had three kids and I wasn't able to really think a lot about because you know when you go on social media sometimes you have to invest a lot of time in reading comments and I just knew it would suck away my life if I did anything but then I started making content because enough was enough around us it was like the pandemic it was November 2020 um, there's this give thanks campaign. That's what the prophet of the church thought was a good idea. We all really needed was a marketing campaign. And so I had to make a bunch of satirical TikToks about that. I couldn't stand it anymore. And so I kind of like jumped in with two feet in text arm and TikTok. And then I just loved it and had really good responses. And so when I started making content, uh, John, John Dillon started watching my videos and invited me to be on Mormon stories as an interview. Um, and I recorded that at uh, the end of February where I just kind of told my story um, for four hours and, uh, and it was received really well and it was fun. And then we just kind of tried to figure out how we could work together after that. And he'd been looking for like a younger co-host or a female co-host for a while. Um, and I didn't know that though, <laughs> but we just kind of, I tried to think about like, I, I just, I pitched to him initially. I was like, you guys got to get more of your stuff on TikTok. Cause obviously Mormon stories episodes are like, two, four, six, 12 hour long episodes sometimes. 
And you need somebody to chop up that information and disseminate it across different platforms. Like short form is the way to go. And so I was like, I volunteered to, to invent a position at Mormon Stories for myself. And I was like, if you want me to help you chop up videos or, and then he was more thinking about how he's been really wanting to write a book and that he just would love to have more free time to do that. And I could take over like other parts of the channel and it just snowballed into me eventually, um, I think it was like the beginning of May, 2021, just starting to co-host. My first episode was with Drew Manning and it was really fun. And then we just kind of did a trial period to see how there was the audience would like it and how I liked it and if I could do it. Cause obviously John is like, he's got this PhD background in clinical psychology and I am nothing but just like a girl who talks to my, 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 my resume for talking about Mormonism is that I studied it a lot and I talk about it but I don't have any credentials whatsoever. Um, but it turns out that the audience really liked it. They liked having a younger and a female voice on. Um, I can't get 10% of the audience. I think 10% of the audience will always just like it the way that it was, but the numbers are still really good. And yeah, we've just been kicking ass ever since. So that was May, 2021. And then it's pretty much been like my semi full-time job since then. So these interviews are very long form, um, you know, three, four or five, whatever hours. How does that toll on you? Because, you know, our, our episodes are roughly an hour. And at that hour point, you know, we're all just kind of like, yeah, done. It has a lot of good elements that keep it alive. I mean, how long do you want me to talk about this for? Because <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about this forever. It's strange. Because one, I know the formula works. I already know that like when when John records a four-hour podcast, people will listen to it. Like not every podcast that tries to go for that long will find its audience, but Mormon Stories had. And I'm just lucky enough that I, I don't have to worry. I don't have the anxiety that it's not going to be picked up. I know people will like it. And I know that I trust John. John is a, a very good interviewer and he does know where to dig and he knows how to ask the right questions. So I think he gets the most out of those four hours, they don't feel like they're a waste or we're just meandering. Other people might disagree <laughs> and think other things about the interviews. I personally think that they're really good. And John asks all the right questions and we st stay on all the most relevant topics. So that's super helpful. And then lastly, I just think, you know, some people, they want to talk about the weather. They want to talk about like how Timmy is doing in T-ball and stuff. But like, I've always been the type of person where I meet somebody at the party or wherever I'm like, cut the bullshit. I don't want to hear about like surface level things. I want to hear about like, tell me who you are. Like, I really want to get to know people. And so I love the vulnerable environment where people come in kind of having that expectation that they're going to tell their whole story start to finish. And I've had so many of my close friends come out of being an interviewee on the podcast. And isn't that so fun being able to have a new friend and you feel like, you know, their whole story from the moment of like when they were born up till now, what their beliefs are. And you just could have like a six hour deep dive into them. So I feel like I'm downloading years worth of lifetimes of other people. And I'm like the luckiest person in the world that I get to do that. And I don't have to do it as a therapist. I don't have to carry that trauma or anything like that. I just get to listen and add my commentary and make jokes and empathize and just try to be like another voice in the conversation. So while they can be tiring and they can be really long, it's rare that it's ever dull. It's only comes at only certain times where um, I need to smoke some weed at like the second half of the podcast. So if ever, if ever anyone notices that my commentary gets like sillier, 
as time goes on in the interview, it's definitely because I got high halfway through. So and you just disappear outside for a minute and <laughs> I just awesome. I just like pass like a little uh, marijuana gummy sometimes. I just like take a nibble oh. here or there. Yeah. I kind of had to stop <laughs> vaping in the studio because then it started to stink. I'm, I was like, I guess I'll be respectful. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Yeah. Uh, on your TikTok, TikToks, it shows the, the studio there. I, I just, just the way before I started seeing those that it was set up like at a house and you guys were just in different corners. Um, what, what's your guys' setup like? The setup, it's kind of funny. It's like a nondescript building. It just like is a regular office building in Holiday, Utah. And there's just, there's a dentist office. There's just all this kind of different stuff. And so we just have a random room and we just set up. Uh, we have one setup that's, yeah, the chairs all kind of facing each other right now. We have a really good uh, co-host producer and lighting guy, Gerardo Sumano, who's amazing, who's done all the cinematography and just make sure the lighting is really good. So I feel like our our podcast game is like as good as possible. Um, and then we have a second setup at the computer at the desk where John will usually like speak into the camera, speak into the, and do different presentations over there. But it's really, it's just like an, an empty, <laughs> a big empty room that we filled up with a bunch of lighting and cameras and chairs. It's people walk in and they're kind of surprised. It's nothing too fancy, honestly. Well, it looks fancy on camera, well done. Yeah, that's what we fool, but we are not like in any kind of fancy production studio. <laughs> it's kind of small. It's we we just hired another woman to work there who's amazing. And she's like she made the house a home, let's put it that way. Like she cleared out all the junk. Like we could barely even walk in there. There was so much junk before that was just off camera. And now we're like literally feels like we transformed like a bachelor pad from like something you'd see on Queer Eye for the straight guy. And now it's like like it went from John DeLunn's bachelor pad to this like beautiful home of a studio. It's like got a coffee maker now and like, it's just gorgeous. So everyone is welcome to come stop by and come see how gorgeous it is now. So it's a nice setup now. Well, I'm in holiday. I might take you up on that. So you are, you got my yes. number now. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Molly, do you have any questions at this point? I have so many questions. <laughs> Like me. I started, I did like a deep dive on your Instagram, which like, I'm not super uh, TikTok savvy yet. So I need to hop on there and, and do that. But I think one of the, the things that I wanted to ask the most was I started to realize that like, this is a super recent thing for you. Like, like I was like, oh, this is, she's been doing this a long time and she's probably left the church a long time ago. And then I kind of realized that like, is you were left in 2020. Is that right? Uh, I left in 2019, but okay. yeah, close, but yeah. like three years ago. Yeah. And I kind of listened to your story about, you know, what that was like in one of your videos and it just, it was blowing my mind. Like there's so many parallels, um, between your story and my story, but I left maybe eight years ago. And I thought that was like, I'm the one of the people I know who was like, you know, further along in the church, a lot of people I know left when they were like 12 or something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess my question was like, what was that like? I don't know. It just feels so fresh to me. Like it didn't, it didn't seem years, fresh. Yeah. 
so articulate about it and so like able to speak about it but like yeah I guess so does it still I, feel I, does it still feel new it doesn't feel new now that I talk about it all the time now it feels light years away it feels so long ago like an impossible amount of time because so much has happened since I left the church I feel like I've lived a lifetime in the last three years um and I can't even like if I'm 33 now and I got married at 19 and I left at 29 I left the church at 29 it feels like that entire 10 year span of my marriage feels like <laughs> like that's where all the time of taking up my life and all my growth should have happened. Not the case though, not the case at all. Like, I feel like all my growth has happened in the last three years. Like that's been my lifetime. That's been the decade of just a whole new soul has emerged, a whole new me and uh, getting in touch with like my older self that feels like it's been asleep for 10 years because sometimes when you're Mormon and you're married and you're a woman, you just, you shelf so many things, so many things about yourself so many ideas you have so many dreams and pursuits you have for yourself because it's just not in the cards for you so like it's my whole entire new identity has come out and thankfully it's the comedic side that I hopefully get to highlight the most and I think talking about Mormonism is just one really good niche and avenue that I am not traumatized I'm not at all traumatized by Mormonism you like low t trauma the only trauma was finding out it wasn't true so I can talk about it. It does. It's not triggering to me. And I think so much of it is fascinating. And then thankfully it's kind of just found its audience in a way like people, people need a lot of laughter on the side of Mormonism, obviously. And, and then they need a lot of validation and like, it's no sweat at all for me to, to give that. And, and I feel like it's using a good uh, parts of my personality that I've been kind of having on hold for a decade. So it's just, it's a really, it's all of the good things, but yeah. And then in, in reference to your, your question about how fresh it is, um, it doesn't, it doesn't quite feel that fresh anymore, but I understand people thinking like, wow, only, you know, two or three years ago, that's amazing that you've come this far, but I'm the type of girl that when I make up my mind, like I really do it quickly. There's some people who hem and haw about things and I don't, once I know something's right, I can't really be talked out of it. Like I decided to marry my husband in three weeks. <laughs> I know that's just like a Mormon thing to do, but like I decided I did it. I decided I wanted to like go work at this one location. It was, a, it's like a big move. I thought about it. I did it. And then the night that my shelf broke with Mormonism, I didn't spend a lot of time. I didn't spend more than one night needing to read the apologist responses to the, to all of the faith, uh, to all of the, the, the truth claims of the church. Like I really I recognize when something's good or bad, and then I kind of just go with it. And so I feel like my wounds after Mormonism, they also healed up really quickly too. I spent, you know, the right amount of time crying about it and thinking about it and feeling betrayed and lied to. And then, you know, you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, and then you find something else and you find a new path and a new, a new way to interpret all of your spiritual experiences and I did it and I did it really quickly. And then I, it just, I, I was just obsessed with learning more and more about Mormonism. And then it was probably, uh, January. I went to a, I have a friend who's like very woo. You could say very into like witchy stuff and her and like 20 of her closest friends put on like a, like a new year's little party where we were going to set intentions and do a bunch of witchy crafts with each other. 
Um, not my bag, but no judgment. But anyway, I showed up and I realized I set this intention for 2021 that I wasn't going to to learn about Mormonism anymore. Again, this is all way before TikTok. And uh, no, wait, sorry. Yes, was it before TikTok? No, this was 2020. This is before TikTok. This was yeah, January 2020. This is before the pandemic. This is before anything. And I set all these intentions that I was, I was gonna, I needed to move on from Mormonism. I needed to leave the church and finally leave it alone. I was like, I'm just obsessed with learning everything still. And I'm like, I've healed. Why am I still obsessed? And so I set all these intentions for myself for 2021. And I unsubscribed from all the podcasts. I was listening to just Mormon themed podcasts all the time, only reading Mormon books, only on Orx Mormon Reddit. I just was, it was all encompassing. And I'm like, I don't think I need this anymore. And so I unsubscribed for everything for like two or three weeks. And then I realized I missed it and I tried to replace it with other things. And I'm like, no, I just really like nerding out on this stuff. I just, I really do. And I don't think it's bad for me. And I went and resubscribed all my podcasts and I dove back in and I'm really glad I did because it really is just like a hobby of mine to read nerdy Mormon books and just, you get really fascinated. It's like true crime. Like how, where'd they hide the body? <laughs> like that's, totally. that's why you, that's what's so cool about like leaving a cult. You're like, how did they hide the body? Like, how did they lie to us? Like you want to know the, the, the fascinating, like this, this uh, rabbit hole never ends. It never ends. I thought that I've gotten to the bottom of the rabbit hole several times of there's not anything else I could possibly learn. And there's not, it's like a, like the, uh-huh. what it's like, you know, a star Wars universe or like there's lore. <laughs> it's like, there's always more. And there's always somebody else who is the bigger nerd who knows more. And you just want to be like them and take like, take their belt of like ex-Mormon, nerdy uh, nerdum from them you know like going to conferences going to conferences like sunstone but then also going to conferences that i don't belong at like the book of mormon evidence conference just because i like to nerd out on what other factions of mormonism are doing and saying like there's so many areas and so long story short it's just too fascinating it's too much of just a hobby and obsession and i'm just grateful that i did it as a hobby like i didn't have to get paid to learn and study about mormonism for two years it just so happens that now i have a an outlet for all of that. It's just so funny. Like now it just is my job to talk about all of the things that I spent two years nerding out on. And now it just comes naturally. Yeah. Um, I found all your content like very cathartic to um, consume. Do you get that a lot? Mm. What do you mean by cathartic? Like I'm able to validate and express opinions? yeah you hold dear as well like that kind of cathartic yeah so I left you know like eight years ago and I didn't really get do a lot of what you're doing I kind of just like left and was pretty like bitter and then and then I you know the bitterness eventually like faded and I because I was like I don't want to hold on to this resentment like I want to like let it go and so I, I did but like I never did um did it the way you're doing it and so to to watch that and experience it and kind of have someone uh poke fun at these things that like had been you know painful for me it was like nice it was like okay like I never really processed a lot of that you know yeah yeah that's so good to hear that's so good thanks for articulating that I I I'm so in it that like I don't know how it's received sometimes I just do things my number one thing that I try to keep in my mind is like, I don't want to say things that myself of three years ago wouldn't have listened to 
So like yeah. leading, leading with comedy and like being just really approachable. And I, I don't want to make this like a super us versus them Mormons versus ex Mormons. And I have a certain tone in the back of my head I'm always going for. And if I follow that, then I feel like I'm doing the right thing and I'm not like losing myself in just making content for the sake of making content. Right. But it's yeah. always really good to hear like how other people are receiving it. Cause obviously for me, like it was cathartic like a year ago. Now it's just kind of like silly and fun and whatever joke. It's almost like a challenge for myself of, can I think of a joke? Can I tell a story in a way that will entertain people? Um, it's not as much of a need now as it used to be. Cause I've kind of got most of the things I have to say off my chest. And then again, every once in a while I'll surprise myself. And I'm like, oh, I have an opinion that is really serious about something. Like I haven't even begun to deconstruct how I went from being like ultra conservative to like the opposite now <laughs> so like <laughs> like there's still a lot of opinions I could say I haven't expressed yet I just haven't thought that it's been advantageous to to go there but like it's yeah so that's good to hear that it's still cathartic for other people because I sometimes lose sight of what I'm what my content is actually doing <laughs> you know <clears throat> yeah I I really started uh, listening and watching with the Brad Wilcox thing and I've just rabbit holed since then. And like, like she said, it's like oh. very, very, very healing. It's like, it's like, oh, I haven't thought about that. And I haven't thought about it in that way. And it just kind of helps those little wounds a little bit. So thank you. Yeah, that's so good to hear. And I mean, everybody, it's, it's, it's no surprise that I don't call the church a cult to be offensive. I just call it as like a matter of fact kind of thing. That like it's no surprise that if you were raised in a cult and you're indoctrinated, like big I indoctrinated, right? That you're gonna have a lot of things to deconstruct. And then when you feel like you've deconstructed enough, something's gonna pop up and you're like, oh, I need to take that Jenga piece out and look at it from all sides. And so yeah, not everyone is ready to do that at certain phases. And so I hope at least like my content or Mormon stories like it facilitates the right type of deconstruction and like conversations in your brain that you need to have just to become like a more, you could say actualized person or whatever you want to call it that just kind of grows into their, their truest self and separates from the enmeshment of a cult. Like any way people do that, it's fine by me. Yeah, the I, cult thing for me, like that was really hard for me to like even admit that that was what that was. And it was then, a cult? yeah and then getting into like you said something about like the woo-woo stuff I went full hardcore woo-woo for a while Be mm. and then like once once that kind of like wasn't good for me anymore I was able to go holy shit I went I'm so accustomed to like letting something like spiritual religion or something like make me into like I don't know, like a follower. And like, I was like, holy shit. Like I'm conditioned for this shit. Did that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, totally. It. If you're like the, the most important thing I wish I could just tell everyone is like how whole they are on their own and how we are conditioned to set up ourselves and thinking that we're at a, we're always at a disadvantage. We're always at a deficit mm -hmm. and like, and really being conscientious of who benefits from that whether it's like capitalism <laughs> or like you know a guru or uh, a religion or yeah coming down just to like woo stuff like there's healthy versions of 
non-healthy versions of, of a lot of that, that I just mentioned, but if, if you're doing it and you're always looking to, to supplement it because you never feel like you're whole on your own, like really deconstructing, where did that come from? That's what I've had to deal with over the last year of like really thinking hard on like, why do I feel like I need to hustle for X, Y, and Z and not just exist and be happy just existing. And now I'm happy to say I've got there, but it's like a daily reminder that like, you don't actually don't need to do anything. Like you really, you don't need to always have the answers for everyone else. You don't need to always have the answers for yourself. Like you're totally cool just existing. (laughs) Like that's not a thing you're taught in like Mormonism or capitalism or anything like it, you know? So it's a whole new like water I have to learn how to swim in because I was learning to doggy paddle in a totally different set of currents anyway yeah 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 have you found it uh sneaky things come up from your mormon past like maybe this is too personal but like feeling shame about sex or like things like that that are residual from that that time um honestly no i've always had a really healthy relationship with sexuality and people don't understand that i don't understand it either but it's just the way that it is I I could talk about this forever. It's just fascinating to me. So yeah, I grew up with a completely um, healthy view of my body and sexuality all growing up. And partially, I think it was because um, I was raised, I had some really great feminist leaders in my ward in Provo that I, I didn't really respect my Mormon parents growing up, but I respected my leaders and my friends' moms. So their opinions meant a lot more to me and they would have never let me get away with thinking you know negative thoughts about myself my body um like they would have never allowed the chewing gum lessons they were very body positive and very sex positive with us growing up and me and all my friends and I had most of my friends in my home ward growing up had like amazing experiences my life in the church was really colored by just really good experiences and people taking the gospel seriously but not taking the shame too seriously and just understanding that we're doing our best and to not get down on yourself so me and my friends were very open about our, our sexuality growing up. And in terms of like, we talked about sex all the time, like what we can't wait to do, like talking about how we wish we had boyfriends, like what we would do with them. Like we did not hold back me and my friends, like we are sexual beings and we talked about it all through my teenage years. It wasn't like a taboo subject. Um, but I can imagine if there were other girls in just one, one ward also in my stake, that would probably be like they would never think to do that it just was I had a unique group of friends in my ward with a unique group of moms and that were all very like liberal and feminist and um so that that colored a lot of my experiences um and I've talked about this before so it's not like I'm like embarrassed to say anything regarding this so I was also sexually abused while growing up and I but for whatever reason I turned out okay (laughs) and it made me do like deals with God in my head of like, hey God, remember how you let all of that horrible stuff happen to me? I'm gonna masturbate now and uh, you're gonna not count that as a sin because you F- let my life get effed up and this is just like how I cope with it. I was very aware of that starting in like fifth grade. Like this is just gonna be a thing I'm gonna need to do to cope with this trauma and being very honest with myself and knowing that that's what my plight, what my life was gonna be. So between that and then, Um, my first boyfriend was my husband when I was like 19 and, uh, I'm very happy to report that 
he's a very good guy and very respectful and everything in our dating life went super well. And I have like no trauma from bad dates with like Mormon men or anything like that. Um, I like had braces through high school to all the way up till college. So as soon as I got my braces off, like men actually started looking at me. And then two weeks later I had a boyfriend. So it all worked out how it should have. Um, but the bigger picture of like the things I've had to deconstruct was like being more honest about like my feelings for women is what I've done like this last month. So yay mushrooms, putting down walls, like letting you look at things non-judgmentally. So um, I was able to look at if I have been judging with my still Mormon brain, my still very like heteronormative brain at all of my interactions with women and all of my crushes on women my entire life and what those actually mean in terms of my sexuality and what have I judged them to mean or not mean. And so I've been able to like, never, I've never ever once thought of myself as anything, but like 100% straight up until just recently. Um, but really able to deconstruct and look at things for what they are. So I'm happy to like come into my new, like a monogamous bisexual phase. It's not really that exciting, but at least, cause that doesn't really mean anything in the future for me because I'm, I'm married and I'm happily married, but it does, it does let me uh, release a lot of judgment for myself for like, you know, 100 stories I have in my head in the past, you know, and like different, like sort of relationships I've had with women going back to like middle school, basically. So looking at things like I, I had to, I, I had to not just leave the church, but then you, again, you have to deconstruct so many things and giving yourself more, more empathy and understanding. And for the reasons why you judge situations when you need to look at it with fresh eyes. So I've done that recently. And then, um, my favorite thing though, is just releasing all judgment for other people. Um, because like I said, I didn't have a lot of shame in what I did in the church. Like, I don't feel like I messed up too bad. I didn't feel a lot of shame. I never talked to the bishop. I never like had problems like dressing modestly, you know, quote unquote, or wearing my garments, but I did have a lot of judgment for other people. And so my literal favorite thing about leaving the church, it's not that I have like the tithing money back in my bank account. It's not that I have free time on Sunday or that I can drink coffee and smoke weed and do whatever I want. It is the burden is lifted of feeling like I had to judge people when I was a Mormon, whether that is strippers or sex workers or um, people who, you know, do anything with their bodies that they want to and have <laughs> other people's consent to do, you know, think of the list, right? Everything that you can't do in Mormonism, like my love for people is just cannot be contained. I can't even be put into words now. And like the fact that I don't have to judge people and I can just look at people as people using their bodies, how they feel like using it is just the, my favorite thing in the entire world. So I would never, ever be able to just to love people unabashedly the way that I do if it wasn't for leaving the church. Like it's the best way to level up, in my opinion, <laughs> is non-judgment. I totally agree. My life um, got significantly better after I left. And um, I was going to mention that I also... <laughs> you know, looked back at a lot of my female relationships and realized which ones were friendships and which ones were actually romantic. But I wasn't, I didn't know that until, you know, much years later, looking back going like, oh no, I was kind of in love with that friend. Like I, I had like deep feelings for that friend that were not 
platonic only. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, because now I'm like, I knew at the time, I've known at the time that I was in love with a woman. I knew I, I admitted that to myself, full thing. But I was like, there's at no point would I do anything sexual with them. I was like that, I couldn't get over that hurdle. I have since gotten over that hurdle. <laughs> Where I was like, oh, Kara, you just had to rewire this thing. You know, anyone who's ever done mushrooms knows that like, oh, you can rewire your brain very quickly. So I've been doing a lot of mushrooms lately. So my brain has rewired very quickly. And I'm like, oh, I can, I understand how that works now. What, what, are you, what are you trying to say, Kara? I understand how lesbian sex works now. I understand it and I would be for it if the situation needed to happen. However, I'm sounding like I'm being like sarcastic or I'm lying. <laughs> I'm like hearing myself sound very like, like Kara, it sounds like you're covering up something. I am not, no. I'm just saying if I could go back in time, I could have made that connection now. But again, love the D. Love my husband, Aaron. Everything's good though. So sometimes people ask and I have to say, no, thanks. Yeah. I'm capable of a lot of things, but I prefer monogamy. Like that's just a personal preference of mine. Exactly. Even though yeah. I have many, many, you know, friends and family that do, you know, polyamorous or open relationships. And I'm like, yeah, I'd rather just be with one person. So I, I totally follow what you're saying. Um, but yeah, also- I had to, I had to deconstruct, I had to deconstruct, uh, the nuclear family, the hardest, that has been the hardest one for me to deconstruct, but yeah. Um, how so, I, how, so how, why has it been the hardest? Yeah. Well, and yeah. Oh, I, I, I was raised on one set of beliefs and you could have grains of truth in something, but then there's like your brain that just wants to fill in the rest of the gaps because you already decided that that's the true thing. And that's what like the proclamation to the family was to me. That's what like a father presides over the home and watches and like cares for things that are outside of the home while the woman's duty was that. And I was very believed that gender roles were something that we, that we got from a pre-earth life. And that was part of our spirit. So that just is wrapped up in a lot of, it's wrapped up in like this cluster fudge of like 20 different things that have certain grains of truth. But when you put it inside of a dogma, it is really, really harmful and toxic for the very people that you're trying to help, which is, which is children. And thinking about that, if there's so many different shapes and ways to raise children how dogmatic I was being thinking that one was the best and one was the only way to have it done and that adults should just always just suck it up and just yeah suck it up and 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 work the situation out gay people should do everything within their power to marry somebody they're not attracted to (laughs) and raise kids with them because you just that whole idea to like self-sacrifice like endure to the end it'll all be worth it for the for another earth life well, this life is like forcing people to kill themselves because of that is not any way to live. And it's not just adults who are raised in that system. It's kids who are raised to think that that is a healthy way to go about, but that's not living a life that's living for the next life. And, um, if there's, there's a certain grain of truth of like, yes, self-sacrifice is a wonderful thing to do in a relationship of all kinds. Like, (laughs) like that's the grain of truth, but it was, it was, it was extrapolated 
so wide in ways that I didn't realize were just not productive or helpful mm-hmm. to the human psyche. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, if you know who John Larson is, um, John Larson is a very kind of like famous, well-known ex-Mormon podcaster and he's amazing. And he's one of my favorite people to get high and talk to. Um, unfortunately he just moved, but, uh, we, uh, we'll have like these really fun, long conversations and he'll come on Mormon stories sometimes. And he almost has to tame down how extreme his opinions are <laughs> sometimes because he's, he's really, really been the number one person I can credit with helping open my brain to, you, you know, you never think that you even have that closet of a thinking until you talk to somebody who's like light years above you. And that's kind of like how John Larson is. And I don't mean to like put him in like a hero status or anything, but he's, he's the one who really helped me understand that like the system that people, that very few people run, but serves hopefully all of us is really set up and destined for most of us to fail so that we still need those people at the top. We still need that system. And one of that is like the nuclear family and the way that things are set up under this capitalist structure is set up for misery. It's set up for fail. It's not set up for human flourishing um, because the people at the bottom who are not flourishing would actually have a say in changing the system. And we know that like structurally they don't, right? And so I never realized I always thought like the church or people, they always have their best intentions, but I've come to understand it's a lot more insidious than I first gave it credit. They're like, is that make, am I making any sense? They're like, everything is flawed. (laughs) Do you think that it's just the people at the tippy top that are like that with like malice intent? Or do you think it goes down all the way down to like, you know, like bishops and like, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, it's, it's hard to say because people can be obviously be like co-conspirators in their own oppression and in the oppression of people that they love without knowing that they are hurting them. They think that they're doing a good thing for them and they can only cherry pick the beneficial things that they see for them. So that's, Uh, that that's again that's totally me as a mormon like preaching like i was a total shill for the proclamation to the family for instance and i was i'm a low-level person in the church i'm nobody but all i did was cherry pick the things i wanted to see all like the happy smiling families and then ignoring all of the other data (laughs) about all the ways it wasn't working because i still thought if you start off with the presupposition it's true and you're going to look for data and you're going to look for evidence to support that belief and have a confirmation bias from the get-go. Uh-huh. If you're just, you're not educated in a system that tells you how to critically think, you're only looking for supporting evidence to keep your, the thing that helps your brain function, which was the church, was the gospel. Your brain's only looking for, <laughs> for evidence to keep that going, not to like think critically about it. It doesn't have a vested interest in thinking critically about it. And in that, there's a wake of all kinds of harm that I did to myself mentally and then just to other people with like the other advocacy that I was doing for like the nuclear family, for the, for the proclamation to the family as being a Mormon in the church, you don't realize your scope is just sometimes not wide enough to look for anything outside of confirming, confirming evidence, I guess. It was a big mind fuck. I'm telling you. Yeah. 
so sorry dylan you can hop in here anytime i got i just okay. had questions for her um no i I, I totally get it i have one more which was kind of back to the question i asked so do you think the people like the apostles are like we know this is fucked up um i think that they know did you know that the number one question john gets on mormon stories is do the leaders think it's true so I am going to kind of steal his answer a little bit. I, I think in my heart of hearts, they know that God is not talking to them, but they're hoping God is talking to them. So they have a hope with what they're doing and they're trying to think very narrow-mindedly, but they're trying to think at what will grow the gospel the most through a very small pinhole. And, and so do they think it's, do they think it's true? Do they think that they talk to God? I don't think that they do, but I think that they feel, while I can disagree, <laughs> they feel like they're doing the right thing with a hope that this is what a higher being would want them to do. But do I yeah. actually, I have a hard time wrapping my brain around that. And just, you have to know after a while, the way that the, the sausage is made, you're in the church long enough, you know that you're, you're just doing your best, but nobody's talking to you and revealing things, you know? Like you've been yeah. on the inside of anything, you realize it gets messy and it's not led. Like the last thing you would, you would have to say is that it's led by God. Cause things are just messy internal organizations that are that big. It just, it would be way too messy. I would think that they know that they're just making sausage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I had a feeling though once about, um, Uchtdorf, cause I really liked him back in the day. And I remember thinking like later when I left the church, like I was like, I don't think he believes. I think he realizes that there he has a platform and he's just doing the best that he can to I use can totally that, platform, see that. Is that platform in a way that might be helpful to people. But yeah. 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 I can totally see that. Cause it's like, say you do really believe that you have this power and the church is really true, but then say you don't discover until maybe you even become a 12 apostle and then you really lose your faith in some substantial way. Like yeah. there's no such thing as like stepping away delicately I can't I don't even know what that would look like and they probably don't know either so they probably yes just do the best with their platform and hold on until they die (laughs) yeah I had a bishop that we you know my family me and my sisters talked about that we felt like was some type of like sleeper I don't know if that's the right word but just like that he we people would confess things to him like for example my sister was like you know I've had premarital sex me and my boyfriend and he was like yeah, that all sounds really normal. That's fine. You know, go, go ahead. And, and she was like, what? And so I think there's some people who are just like, um, there because of the community there, because it's a platform for them, but really they're not like, they don't really give a shit about a lot of the, you know, doctrine or whatever. Yeah. Like a non-believing Bishop is what I wish every Bishop was that just doesn't take it too seriously. And is just there to show up and serve, be kind and yeah. like if somebody confesses something to you you like do the opposite of shame make them realize how normative their behavior is like um yeah, yeah I've heard stories of bishops like that who don't believe and they're super chill and it's like thank goodness I want more of those I have low-key thought about going back just to be a sleeper like just to be one that's like acting like you know that way but like really I'm just like way chill and like secretly a stripper and whatever <laughs> yeah probably like write a best-selling novel afterwards uh yeah I always thought I could do that but you have to put in a lot of like 
work up front for them to even trust you. Ugh. It would yeah. be a real long game that you have to play there. It would be a long game. Yeah, I don't have any desire to like wear Sunday dresses anymore though. I could do just about everything, but if I had to dress up on Sunday, I get really triggered isn't the right word, but just like uh please end my life. I hate dressing in my like Mormon Sunday dresses. That's my favorite thing I've had to, I got to throw away besides garments. Garments are actually kind of chill. I'm not, I'm not down on garments the way a lot of people out there are. They're not my favorite. They cause some like problems in my brain for like body positivity, but like mostly um, they're super comfy. It's wearing an ugly dress is why I wouldn't go back to church. I can handle all the homophobia, everything else. (laughs) Did you not have like that one woman on your board that like always dressed pretty sexily, even though like she, there were technically garment standard you know clothes yeah it's usually kind of tight and red and she definitely had a boob job yeah yeah that'd be me (laughs) yeah (laughs) that actually would be super fun yeah what are they gonna do realize that I work for Mormon stories and kick me out I'm just trying to get some salvation here guys I thought this gospel was for everyone yeah right right um, when I was, this, when I first started stripping, I, I went to church, like the first six months I stripped and my bishop knew, and he didn't like kick me out or anything and, until I decided to leave the church. And then he was like, oh, you need like a disciplinary council. And I was like, I didn't need a disciplinary council the whole six months I've been stripping, but now I do. Anyways, it was dumb. Was it because you were paying tithing money on your I was paying. income? I was 100% oh. tithing money on my stripper money. That's the and cleanest it- money that they've ever seen. That's awesome. <laughs> my God. That was, that's hilarious. Now it literally, I guarantee it had to do with tithing. It's like, oh, you're not paying into the system anymore. Then we're going to ruin your life. Yeah, that was one of my thoughts, but he had been like meeting with me weekly because he was really like, concerned about me, obviously, because I'd made this life choice. But um, and so part of it, I think, was just personal that he he had he had invested so much time with me trying to like, oh, that I think he felt I think he felt hurt, you know, maybe he invested so much time in you and he was like so annoyed that you wouldn't tell him the name of the club you were stripping at. And he's like. <laughs> all right she's not even telling me where I need to go on Saturdays at 2 a.m f her yeah Yeah, that's why I did that I got all kinds of conspiracy theories yeah also also known as jokes did you know jokes and conspiracy theories are basically the same thing it's just me making up a scenario in my head (laughs) samey samey yeah sometimes people uh like get killed over them but hey they're just jokes guys don't take it too seriously anyway <laughs> i'm sure that bishop was just worried for your immortal soul yeah you're very very hot immortal immortal soul <laughs> he was yeah he was interesting he was like 50 he just got married and i'm positive just lost his virginity um what you could just see it you could just tell he was just this tiny awkward man and he didn't get married yeah. till he was 50 yeah, he didn't get married till he was 50. And speaking of that, do you remember Sherry Do? Was that the... Uh-huh. Do you think she was a virgin? Isn't she... Is she married now? As far as I remember, I mean, of course, I haven't followed up with her now, but she was, yeah, the president of the Relief Society. Definitely, yeah. Was, and if never she is ma- married, 
she was def yeah that girl's definitely been like riding the virgin train her whole life not a doubt in my mind weird i have family who has left the church who are similar ages and uh they keep their virginity intact some people still say very conservative even if they leave, leave the church so i can only imagine somebody in the church who's already very conservative come on like they are have they want to have nothing to do with that until they have to yeah maybe they're asexual though yeah yeah that's a totally valid thing to be and uh let's not forget uh the ace people mm-hmm. yeah let's not act like they don't exist maybe sherry do or this bishop maybe he was just of that persuasion you know yeah i don't i don't know i don't know well i want to talk about your your comedy roots um I worked for Wise Guys and you started at Wise Guys. Tell tell us your experiences started there and that's where you met your husband. Oh, this will be fun. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I started taking uh, comedy classes, stand-up comedy classes uh, from a woman named Jenny Oaks. There's like a, oh, her name's Jenny Oaks something. She probably not is not in the Wise Guys circuit anymore. But my mom has always been very encouraging for being very Mormon. She's always been very encouraging of my comedy. And I used to write lots of comedy songs on my guitar. And I loved listening to stand-up growing up. And so my mom helped me get into this class. And then from that class, uh, me and some other ladies from it would go to Wise Guys Open Mic. We're talking like 2008 at the West Valley Wise Guys. And you always get kind of the same weird characters uh sometimes at open mics so you know people talking about all kinds of gross stuff in my little like 19 year old mormon brain and sensibilities were already like i was very mormon in all of the ways the one thing i wasn't mormon in is i i like comedy and i can i can handle raunchy comedy for the most part but the wise guys open mic was still even more filthy than I was pretty much accustomed to um but at the time I was just doing regular cute little clean jokes and uh if you guys remember Marcus Marcus and Guy do you know Guy yeah I know um yeah Guy Seidel Guy and I started like the same week doing open mic and then within like a month Guy was like headlining which was funny also um I think it's also pretty funny that I was like the like I was like just had my braces off there's like 30 I'm gonna be mean I'm gonna say like kind of like gross men (laughs) (laughs) and that like you know sleuth around the comedy club and it's like me and I'm like the only single girl there on the dating market you could say use your imagination of that what that looked like so it was a little bit weird guy did come on to me one time I think I've never told that story I've never told anyone besides my husband so guy did come on to me through a MySpace message. That's how old we're talking about here. Oh my God. So, um, but Marcus, the comedian was really big at the time and he, he was just about to go on uh, uh, Last Comic Standing that season that he was on. And so he was kind of a big deal at the time and he was really kind to me and just told me just to keep performing. And so by the third time that I went, I ran out of material to do. And so I just performed a comedy song that I wrote like a year prior called textual relations, which is a play on words of sexual relations, obviously. And it was about 
having an entire relationship over text message as we do then, you know, in 2008 and now basically not much has changed. And um, it was a song about that. And it was just this funny satirical song. And it was like a siren song basically. Cause my husband was, my husband, Aaron Burrell was, he was just beginning to headline um, back then. And he was hosting that open mic and it just, the, all of that like attention from boys I'd been waiting for my entire life. It just happened. It all culminated this day, like this week after I got my braces off. <laughs> so I could tell that my husband was really into me after I sang my song and he was like flirting on and off. It's actually, this video is on YouTube. If anyone wants to look it up under like Cara Burrell, text relations, wise guys. So there's like a video of my performance that night. So my husband and I met each other and he's like off from the stage. He's like, you know, talking to me and he's like, so what high school do you go to? just trying to see if he's like allowed to flirt with me. And um, I could tell he was Mormon. I could tell I, I was really into tall guys and um, I thought he was really funny. All of his, like his jokes all were great. And so he just checked all my boxes and then Spencer King, who still is at Wise Guys to this day, was a good friend of ours then. Spencer, I knew ironically, he was the assistant teacher of like my history class, my sophomore year of high school. And I just thought it was funny that now we're like adults in a comedy club together. Anyway, so Spencer was a mutual friend and I got my husband Aaron's number from Spencer. And then we hit it off and uh, started dating immediately. And then I had to go work at a summer camp and my husband and I had like two dates in June, 2008, right back to back. And then we kissed. And then he kind of like put his like, put a pin in me like I had to like <laughs> I had to leave for three months and so we didn't get to talk very much but as soon as I got back um we just immediately like fell in love and we were engaged three weeks later and then um I had some repenting to do after I got back from working at the summer camp and he was still very Mormon wanted to get married in the temple I had to kind of decide if I wanted to go the Mormon route and be with him or if I wanted to go move down to ASU to go be with my sister and go not be Mormon anymore. So I had a big decision and I chose love and I chose indoctrination. Indoctrination went over and then me and Aaron got married December, 2008. So all of that was all from May to December, all of that transpired. And then um, from that point, we moved to Arizona and we wanted to try out doing comedy down there. And we just kind of dabbled around, moved back to Salt Lake. And then it was in like 2010 or 2011, I was a huge fan of like Sarah Silverman and the Sarah Silverman program and Tig Notaro was a good friend of hers that was on that show on Comedy Central and I loved it and every once in a while you know and Wise Guys a comedian will come through and like I just Aaron was just he was he was performing at Wise Guys just whenever we were single didn't have kids I mean like we could not single but you know a young married couple without kids like we were at the club all the time um, in those early years and and so I was like, Aaron, you should, you should ask, ask Keith if you can MC when Tig comes through town. And then for anyone who doesn't know, like, you know, sometimes the MC, at least back in those days, I don't know how it runs now, but like they could pick them up from the airport, kind of be their chauffeur back and forth to their hotel. And you just kind of get to hang out with them. And um, so I was like, I don't want to hang out with Tig. So it was like the very first time where I like really told my husband, like get on that. And so it was good. And this was when Tig the only real thing that she'd done was probably the Sarah Silverman program and like stand up. So this was back in the old days, like her shows didn't even have like that many people attending it. And she flew in, you know, from LA and everything. And Keith put her up in like a two-star hotel. <laughs> so it was just like 
back in the old days before she was any kind of name, you know, you could say. So anyway, we had a really fun time with Tig driving her around and ended up talking for like three or four hours one night in the car. And um, she took a liking to us and we liked her and she just had some projects and we just kind of wanted to tap Aaron for like, if he wanted to ever move out to LA and whether become like a production assistant or her assistant or work on a project like a podcast together. She said she'd keep him in mind. And then a few months went by and I was just really discontent with my job. I was nannying and Aaron was in school for computer science. And we were just like, let's email Tig and see what she's up to because our lives are boring. And that was the greatest thing ever. So <laughs> we email and she's like, yeah, let me get you in touch with my manager. And then Aaron talks to Tig's manager and we just start talking about projects they could do together. And his name's Hunter. He's great. And he's like, yeah, if you want to move down here, like we'd love to like find something we could do to work together. And so basically the arrangement at the beginning, then we did, we sold everything and we moved down to LA. Um, in 2011 and the arrangement kind of at the time was like um tig's career was really starting to take off and like aaron would work as her personal assistant um for like low amounts of money or no money basically and then she would do different favors for him and he would like you know once her pilot gets picked up or whatever project gets picked up like he would be the first one that would be able to be able to either be a writer or just do different things and like help his career um, and so she had just started Professor Blastoff uh, podcast with uh, two of her close friends, uh, Kyle Dunnigan and David. Um, why is David's last name escaping me? Anyway, not important, but two great guys. And Aaron just immediately got to be on her podcast. And it was hilarious. It hit number one at one point. They did an episode with Ira Glass. So the podcast got really popular and they even went on tour. And so it was just a really cool time. That was like the three years that we spent in LA. I was just working. Aaron wasn't making hardly any money, but he got to just, yeah, do different projects with Tig, be on her podcast, travel, do comedy with her sometimes. Um, but was LA like everything he wanted it to be? No. And there's a lot of reasons I don't need to get into for that. But like a whole lot didn't come to fruition after three years. And I could kind of tell um, that we'd spent three years and I was ready to kind of move on and have a family and I was fine with staying in LA but I just wanted to get pregnant and stop watching other people's kids and have my own kids because we were still very Mormon at the time and so I got pregnant in 2014 and I thought we were going to be able to stay there in LA and Aaron would just keep either doing that or wait tables or something or we'll be on food stamps and Medicaid not a problem but um he didn't want to do that. He wanted to be responsible. And so we quit everything and he quit the podcast. And then we moved back and had our baby and he went back to school and that we haven't done a whole lot of comedy since. So that's like from 2014, that's just Aaron going to school, me with babies. I had two kids right back to back all the way up until like 2014, all the way through 2020 is when I started doing like comedy basically through TikTok. So that's a heck of a lot of time of just living a normal life, being like Aaron, just being a regular programmer, working. We built, we bought a house. We like remodeled or renovated a whole house and just we're adults. And now just since 2020 and 2021, have we started going back to wise guys a little bit more? And I've been invited to do more speaking gigs. Like I uh, hosted Thrive, which is like a post-Mormon community building events I posted a couple of those and it was super fun because I just got to go do stand-up for like 1500 people at uh, the Salt Palace in November and that was incredible 
so that was super fun and then just between making a TikTok and thinking of funny ideas and putting them up and then the occasional we'll go to wise guys in the last few months we've gone maybe like six times in the last few months just to start working on more stand-up so I'll have more things to say when I host different post-Mormon events um that's pretty much the comedy career in a nutshell um yeah any questions I was talking for like 20 minutes straight (laughs) sorry (laughs) love it um are you so you're performing at wise guys when you go is that what you're saying yeah I just like the open mics um but you know it's kind of expensive to hire a babysitter just for me and Aaron to go out to go bomb and (laughs) and have to listen to the sausage be made so um and Aaron's still like Aaron's still friends with Keith and I think Keith would let him I think he's asked if he could um you know do other shows so we don't have to go to the go to the open mics and like wait our turn really stuff so we could if we wanted to it's just with three kids it's kind of hard to really care you know yeah. One thing that I thought was interesting about your LA time is you did PR for the church when you were out there. Yeah. Um, so I always have to like qualify and separate that there's like the, the actual PR department of the church and then there's the public affairs. Um, is that what it's called? Uh, I feel like it's a different word. I think the second word is affairs, but anyway. Um, and so that's just like the volunteer position that you get called to do. So that's what we did is we were like the stake directors of just the uh, public affairs council um, within like our, our Santa Monica stake or whatever it was. And so we did a lot of things that I'm proud of that were community building. But as I've said before, like I said, this on my Mormon stories interview, like anything good that you think that you're doing for the church to like, you know, provide goodwill between like the gay community or like with other religions at the end of the day, you're still amping up the Mormon church. And like, at the end of the day, like it really don't mean shit. And it's not like you want to be proud of something. You don't want to like completely throw the baby out with the bathwater, but I've had to come to terms with like, we did just, we did just different things um, that were all in the aim of making the Mormon church stronger. Uh, And like some of those things include uh, like making the tension after prop eight, disseminate because a lot of people hated Mormons obviously like Mormonism was synonymous with bigotry (laughs) in Southern California right for a really long time and probably still is um and this is um when I when we were there it was like 2014 15 16 or sorry no no 11 2011 2012 so prop 8 was 2008 so it wasn't too much longer after that and it's like hey church maybe you should have to like actually face up to your and like to your bigotry instead of just like having volunteers from your organization try to like smooth tensions why don't you actually like come to the table and like fess up for the things that you did um trying to take gay marriage away from like a state that you have no business you have no business like meddling in uh so stuff like that still really irritates me that we had to that I felt like I was doing the right thing because I was you know helping make Mormonism more palatable and it's like hey why don't you guys make Mormonism more palatable by changing your doctrines and changing your homophobic policy <laughs> so so anyway yeah uh lots of things PR related in LA that's the main one that comes to mind though yeah all, all that that get anti-gay stuff it was big for my shelf breaking so was it yeah I think a lot of people 
um that was their their line in the sand um it sounded like from watching your stuff that that was that kind of line in the sand for you and your husband too at some point um so I like like gay marriage issues and like you're, you're asking about like LGBT stuff around the church yeah um if some seemed correlated to you why you left or is did I totally misread so, that so yes and no so I I obviously understand why it's a huge like it should be the one issue that just flat out tells people the church is not true and you need to find solace and spirituality elsewhere that there's you know five to ten percent of the population that physically cannot exist within this structure and within this religion like that alone is just obviously a huge red flag um but I think my indoctrination won over a little bit more than my husband's did um because I um back to when we were talking about stuff about like the nuclear family and just starting off with these presuppositions about the church and the way that we came to this earth life and so I believed in only two genders I believed in like um like the nuclear family is of God and my husband and I we just didn't talk a lot about our issues with the church or our like you could say like more political or social ideas as much so I was never I like to make this clear I was never not once a progressive Mormon or a feminist when I was Mormon. I was absolutely, I had certain like libertarian or left-wing ideologies, but definitely would have called myself a conservative and like a proud, like, like loud mouth of a conservative. This whole package that you see here before you that is now like very left and very like sex positive and sex work positive and like, um, like atheists, all of those things were opposite bill like three years ago. I was, I was this energy, but, but, but attached to a lot of like stupid ideas. Okay. So like, um, just imagine all this energy allocated for stupidity. Okay. So my husband knew that that's my energy was probably just too strong in that area. So we just didn't talk about it, but he, his one issue literally was just gay marriage and his, his friendship with Tig and knowing that it was completely uncomfortable when we're in LA and, and she, Tig never really, we always kind of wondered, we never talked with her about like, just so you know, we're Mormon and it's going to be like, technically our church has a history of like, you know, Prop 8 and all of these things. I don't think me, Aaron or Tig ever had that conversation of what us being Mormon and working for a lesbian really means. I think, I think she just assumed that we were like progressive enough. She was right to assume that of Aaron, but she wasn't as right to assume that of me. Does that make sense? So like, um, mm-hmm. but, but Aaron was always really uncomfortable because she didn't really understand the history of what Mormonism has done and said about gay people. Right. And so we, any party they'd be at, Tig would introduce Aaron like, oh, and this is my friend, Aaron, he's Mormon. And she thought it was just like saying like, he's like kooky and here's a reason why <laughs> like she didn't. <laughs> so, so Aaron looks back and he really wishes that one, he wasn't Mormon in LA because just people like, sorry if like, sorry if it's bigoted to not want to hire somebody whose religion is bigoted, but I think that's just the attitude of a lot of people like that Aaron could have potentially worked for, but he's, even though he was cool and he was progressive and he was, um, he was still talented. I just think intuitively, like, like you don't want to work with a Mormon comic very often. Like I know Ryan Hamilton's done really great things and there's like a certain market for it, but generally 
it's just mm-hmm. like, why are you part of a cult? Like people, it's hard to make friends. It's hard to make, it's hard to network, right? When people know that you're an active Mormon. So um, mm-hmm. uh, I can't remember where I was going with this. Help me remind myself that I was just trying to explain that, uh, oh yeah, Aaron was, he was like a one issue lever, like a one issue voter over gay marriage and stuff. And around the 2015 uh, exclusion policy for children of LGBTQ, like parents, um, that's when he really, I think, like fell out of love with the church, you could say, and really distances himself. And then we bought a house in 2017. And that was a big deal because we weren't going to church anymore. And we were working on our house and we were listening to podcasts all day long. And Aaron is just, he's listening to Mormon stories and he's listening to like more progressive versions of Mormonism. And I don't know what's going on in his head and his headphones. So he was slowly drifting away from the church to the point that by 2019, he was done. And he was like, I absolutely like, I don't believe in the church and I'm not going and it harms gay people. And it has some really like effed up ideologies. And I was heartbroken because I was like, no, you just have to think of it this way. Um, But yeah, he was like a one issue lever over that. I wasn't, I really thought that like, you know, being gay was a trial or like some people are born gay, other people aren't. And like, everyone should just try to live in mixed orientation marriages because this is the ideal and this is what God wants. And whether they believe in that God or not, that God told me that's what he wants and I'm going to still stick to that. Well, still like having gay friends and loving them, but deep down having a, like obvious heteronormity, you know, like normativity, right? So, um, so I, that, and, and also there's this stupid thing that I think a lot of conservative Mormons get into where anything, there's like a TikTok joke about it. <laughs> it's like a meme of the internet that like, you say that you like recycle and everyone's like, lib, lib, you're just a dirty, stupid lib. Like you do the smallest thing that tells your in crowd that you're not one of them. And then you feel like you can never get in their good graces again. So things that are just posturing and like tribalism, I think I was very much, uh, assigned to the role of being like a Christian and a Mormon and a conservative. So anything that had the appearance of being anything else, I was afraid of. And so even if internally, I, I knew that there's more than two genders. I knew that like, it's really not a big deal to have like trans kids or uh, like trans athletes, but you still, you have to rally against it because it's what everyone else is doing and thinking. So that's like, again, all of this energy was dedicated to the things that are just so stupid and don't matter. But I was definitely like, if like, I thought progressives and I thought progressive Mormons were idiots, like complete idiots. And like, in a way, when you're, when you're raised Mormon and indoctrinated in that certain way, like the only way Mormonism does work is kind of with a fundamentalist conservative lens. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like a lot of the things that progressive Mormons, I still don't understand that they do. So I went from being very conservative to my shelf breaking, realizing Joseph Smith made it all up. Everything's just like plagiarized and remixed from something else. And then as the, the very next thing after I realized Mormonism wasn't true is I had a whole shelf. There's a Mormon shelf. And then there was a whole like political and social shelf of that needed to come down as well of all these different items that I had shelved um, with the things I just mentioned. And like, I have a lot of trans people that are really close to me and it's, it was, I could see physically how Mormon doctrine and, and different conservative uh, policies were hurting them. But I thought that that's what God wanted in a way, in a sick, twisted kind of way, that that's what would be best for them, knowing that I love them, 
like I have legitimate like trans friends and family members. And I'm like, why in the world would I choose something that was hurting them? I like really need to deconstruct this God, this ideology. And so became like a fully invested like trans ally very quickly. And that was beautiful. Again, like we were talking about like an hour ago, realizing how much judgment I was holding for other people that I didn't need to. And so um, I very quickly, I feel like came around to the right, the right side, the right ability to like be the proper kind of ally very quickly. But to answer your question in a very long roundabout way, no, I was not. LGBT stuff was like on the bottom of like what I cared about back when I was Mormon, unfortunately. And I'm very sad to say my husband had it figured out. He was like a one issue lever on probably the best issue that you should, that everyone should leave on basically. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. Um, I left for money, so. <laughs> you left for money? Oh, tell me more. In pursuit I mean, of, uh, of like dollar dollar bills? Yeah, I think that was, I mean, there were so many things just, you know, you know, uh, growing up and so many things that I was like, I don't know about that. And I was pretty pro- progressive and I would kind of have discussions like that with people um, in church, the things that like I didn't really think made sense, you know, or whatever, but but yeah, I was, you know, stripping, you know, for six months when I left. And when I, when I finally had the inner conflict of like, these two things can't coexist together. Like one of them has to go. I was like, but money, you know, money, you gotta have it. And I, and I need it and I want it. So I'm going to do that. And, but yeah, all the other issues came up too, you know, eventually, but yeah, (laughs) I, I feel kind of bad saying that like, it should have been, you know, all these other things, but really for me, it was just, you know, I'm happy here making money. And so I'm going to leave the church so that I don't have to live with this inner turmoil of what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. And I know like my Mormon brain would totally chime in and have so much judgment over that of like, Oh, don't you know, that's like exactly what you're not supposed to do. Like Satan has got you in a bind. Like, how could you? And now like, it's just so wonderful to move past that and be like, literally any reason to leave a cult is a valid reason because you need to like use the bathroom like any reason you need to, <laughs> like even like even reasons that people could judge like it's you know there are people who leave because they like were a bishop and they had an affair with like somebody in their congregation and I'm like okay any reason to leave is a reason. It was like yes. you, any reason to grab a life raft when you're drowning is a reason. <laughs> like, yeah. Yes. All good reasons. Um, do you feel like, um, like, I feel like we've, we've spoken a lot about judgment. Do you feel like that, like, like kind of, like I said earlier, that it can kind of attach to different things. Like I've even gotten like to a point in my industry with my the culture there where like I'll get really group-minded about that and start to think and do like that or when I was into the woo-woo stuff I kind of was like okay it's this way and and it kind of almost felt like I could find any reason to be judgmental because I was so used to that for so like most of my life oh yeah like thankfully one of the very first things that I heard. So Sam Shelley, who runs Elf on the Shelf, which is like an ex-Mormon YouTube channel and her and Tanner, um, her friend have been doing it for like six years. So I've known about them for a really long time. I had them like blocked on Twitter because 
um, they kept asking good questions of me. Cause again, I was a loud mouth conservative on Twitter before this life emerged. So they, they were like enemies of mine. But when I started uh, kind of questioning my faith low key, I watched an interview of theirs that they did with Sean McCraney, who's a big outspoken Christian guy in Salt Lake who runs a church and they were doing an interview with him. And I was like, let me give them a chance. And I remember in that interview, they were so chill. They were atheists, which is like a, was a dirty word to me. They were like liberal atheists. Holy shit. Like, why am I giving them a chance? You know? Uh, but I remember in that interview, they said over and over again, kind of how people are just products of their genetics and their conditioning. And that was something I already intuitively believed um, because uh, and my main reasons, what got me literally like 60 to 80% out of the church was losing my belief in free will and listening to too much Sam Harris podcast or just the right amount, I guess. And, and I believed that just intuitively about the world before I heard Sam Harris say it. And then when they said it, I was just like, oh, like we are so wrapped up in judging people in the church that they need to do this or they need to not do this. And that's just, that's always been something that has just helped guide all of my principles from the very beginning. So I started to look at Mormonism through that lens. Like, why are we judging people? Why is the, how could this war in heaven have happened? How is Satan pulling people in one direction? Like Satan can tempt people, but I don't believe in free will. I don't believe in this plan of he- like the, the pre earth life where God presents a plan and like ever all the spirit children, like vote on it, you know, and like one third of the hosts of heaven are cast out into outer darkness. I stopped believing in that story. And that is like the story of Mormonism that you need to keep the spirit with you always. You have to do this certain set of principles. So once I really fell, my, my intellect just moved on o- over that very, uh, like stone age idea of how things work in the world that like we have philosophized our way out of that. And it just seems so primitive and stupid to me. And so I already was the, the first thing I was starting to do was break out of judgment for other people, Mormonism and outside of Mormonism, which is, so all I'm trying to say is like for years, that has been like the biggest thing I've had to, I've deconstructed is judgment for other people. Mormonism is just part of that. And then a lot of that is the conservative ideologies they grew up with around poor people or immigrants or people of color or other marginalized communities, like completely moving out of judgment for that. And now all of that is to say, like in the ex-Mormon community, there's a lot of people who carry trauma with them. And obviously, like I said, I wasn't traumatized in the church and it's not hard to empathize and listen with people who are, but sometimes to a just extreme degree there are still a lot of ex-mormons who kind of wreak havoc in this space it's not a safe space just because people have come to the also correct conclusion that the church isn't true doesn't mean that they've deconstructed a lot of their shit that they've gone to therapy yet and so holding a lot of love and space and non-judgmentalness for ex-mormons is they are kind of publicly working out some of their stuff whether that's like in a message board or a Facebook group or on TikTok or like in my life every once in a while, somebody who was like a friend, they still act out, let's say in very like, um, uh, they haven't deconstructed the patriarchy quite enough to realize their privilege. Sorry, that was, again, I have my conservative brain being like, Kara, that was the most like liberal sentence you've ever said, but you guys know what I mean. Just like, people who um, are wolves in sheep's clothing 
And so still like one true thing since five years ago till now of holding people, just understanding that we are like computers who are capable of operating and sometimes we're, we're broken. Doesn't mean you throw out the computer, but you still recognize that people can be programmable. <laughs> people have been programmed with a very, very nefarious programming. Mm-hmm. And it's not surprising that just because they're like in a different box or have a different mouth, like that they can't still act out in super painful and problematic ways. And just be like, oh, I see you, babe. I see you. I see that this is just a function of X, Y, and Z. And to not be judgmental about that. Because that is the biggest hurdle. Like literally, like my living is in the next Mormon space. I'm like one of three people that probably make their living doing anything similar between like me, John DeLynn, and maybe like Lindsay Hansen Park. So like my full-time living resides and like depends on really holding a lot of grace for people still in this very like post-Mormon, post-traumatized phase. Hope I explained that in a way that is understandable, but yeah. Yeah. Do you, my, my question about that now was, do you, when you experience someone doing something like that, do you just, you know, hold space and, and just hold with the whole judgment? Um, or do you do that? And, and do you also add in saying something to them about it, like commenting about it or um, sometimes yes, depends on the situation. Um, I am a very, I know it's like cliche and like cringe to call yourself low drama, but I'm going to do it anyway. I really am pretty chill. I don't, I try to read people's best intentions into things and give the best faith interpretations of things. Um, so I can, I can usually put my best goggles on and try to see things from other people's perspective. Um, it's hard to say how well I can do it, but I, I feel like I challenge myself and I have good people in my life that do that to me and I do that to them. Um, but I am fine with people reaching out and DMing me. And if they have a problem, uh, very rarely have people ever done that though. People like to do it really publicly, which is strange to me because that in that action in and of itself means that you're more interested in the drama in telling people about it than you are in solving the problem. So if like the problem is affecting you that much and you want to resolve it, like the fastest, most efficient way to do that is like an email (laughs) or like you have my phone number. Like that's weird. Like that you'd make like a bunch of videos or something. So some of this is hypothetical. Some of this has happened. So do I respond? No, almost never. Do I think that it's advantageous for me to respond? And John has been in this space for so long, for 16 years that he's been kind of a good mentor that like things blow over. Um, and we do our best and we, we say, sorry, when we need to. And we, I'm saying we, meaning like John has taught me, uh, like a tremendous amount on like how to be in this very strange space where people are again, sometimes like post traumatized for something and you have to make money in this space because you're still a content creator. So you're still providing something. So you still have to make money. And when you make money in any space where people have trauma, rightly so like it should be critiqued and criticized so that you stay like on the right path and you don't become you know your own cult leader and stuff so John just has an incredible amount of experience in this space doing that so I have done my best to kind of follow his lead and it's usually just comes down to things will blow over um and it's kind of that saying like the people who mind 
don't matter and the people who matter don't mind. Yeah. Kind of like that, but I don't want to sound too like hard and fast on that rule because I'm super open to like, again, there's a lot of traumatized people in this space. And if I'm doing something that is hurtful and thoughtless, like I, I want to be, I want to be corrected and I want to improve this space. But at the same time, I'm also a comic. Yeah. And so I'm also going to not always be super sensitive to feelings in pursuit of a joke. And that's just a weird fine line I have to walk and I've accepted it. Like the literal, if I could some like summarize in one sentence, what makes this job so hard? It's that you're trying to speak to people within the system of Mormonism, like Mormon stories and, or TikTok. I'm trying to reach people who are still harmed by the system and maybe need to have some connections made for them on good reasons they could be getting out and they could have a health, healthier, happier life outside of the church. So I'm trying to speak to people within the system while simultaneously serving the people who have been harmed by the system, validating them and making them laugh. And you can't always serve everyone at the same time. And yeah. if you try, you'll go crazy. So um, yeah, that's, again, I'm giving like the longest answers ever, but maybe it's because I interview other people for a living and I'm like, now I'm going to talk. <laughs> I love it. And um, on my podcast, I do the same thing. <laughs> oh, great. Well, well, I, I talk about myself, actually. I don't even interview people yet. <laughs> about stripping? Um, yeah. Or yeah, about- my podcast is just about my experiences. I talk a little bit about being Mormon, but I think I just kind of set it aside for the most part, even though my, cab- my name is Molly Mormon. And so that mm-hmm. is my branding, which has you know, gained me a lot of popularity because of course that's funny and interesting or whatever. Um, but I haven't ever, you know, done this, this work that you've done, but it makes me want to, like, now I want to like do it, you know, go in that path. I don't know that I will though, but I am really enjoying, and I'm going to start listening to all these, you know, podcasts that you've mentioned and stuff. Make sure you have my number after this little chat wraps, because I have so many questions and I want to talk to you more about all of the things yeah well also check out my instagram you can message me there and i can give you my number there if you want um Perfect. it's uh, molly the stripper excellent the first the first question i have is where you strip i strip and at that, trails trails gentlemen's club in Solid. third third south or i'm right around the corner from target i know that much i'm that much of a basic bitch that I yeah I uh 921 south 300 west right i'm trying to think right. but yeah that sounds yeah it's been a while since i've been there but that sounds right I'm trying to talk my husband and going on a double date with me there. So we'll have to talk more. <laughs> Let me know if you go. I have um, to talk him into it is the thing. He's still, he's deconstructed just about everything. But the last thing I think he needs to deconstruct is like your wife saying she wants to go to a strip club with you. His brain is all like, what? Like that's always been shut down, shut down, shut down in his whole life. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Men tend to do very well when they come in couples. Women, I feel like it's 50-50. When I first came and I brought my best friend, she was a pole dancer. So I thought she was going to, you know, take it very well. Um, Her reaction was very strong and very like knee jerk is the word I want to say. Like she didn't really have control over the way it affected her. And I was loving it and I've always loved it. But she actually started coming around more and she started to love it. But, um, but women, I've just noticed I can read right on their face, like within, you know, the first few seconds, whether or not they're, you know, having the reaction I did or the reaction she did. 
but I would love to see a, a man. I, most men seem to like, even if like a lot of, sometimes they're not comfortable watching the stage, but they're comfortable with like having it in their peripherals, you know, like they enjoy that. Like, oh yeah, there's a beautiful woman who's doing some acrobatic things over there. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. You know? But, but they're not comfortable enough to like sit at the stage or like watch, you know, for long periods of time. But yeah, I'd love to have you guys come. It would be so much fun. I'll, I'll no cover. I'll buy you a drink. Like I'd love for you guys to come. Oh my gosh. It's a date. Okay. I have to figure out whatever else my husband's hangups are. I don't think there's anything else. I think he still, I don't know this for sure, but I would just assume he probably just hasn't done the work that I have mentally and like being able to educate myself on like sex work. I just don't think that he's had a reason to. <laughs> just, yeah. Maybe he's like, I thought I've never, he never thought he would ever have any reason to need to learn about sex work. But I think that was again, like a huge shelf item for me because I needed to deconstruct sexuality and capitalism at the same time. And when you mm-hmm. do that, you're like, you just, there's like, you know how they say there's like the alt-right pipeline. There's like the sex work pipeline in my mind where like, if you're ready to deconstruct Mormonism and capitalism, the next stop on the train is deconstructing sex work. So I feel like I've done that, but I mean, I have a long way to go. Obviously still, I'm not anywhere near where I need to be, but maybe he just hasn't like seen it in like, it's like not the seedy light that maybe he was brought up to look at things in and we'll see. Yeah. That would be fun though. Like, so what I'm trying to say long, actually, the reason why I bring that up is mostly because it's like, if we were to come to like uh, your strip club or any strip club, like it's not just the act of being there. That's interesting. It's the mental work that my husband (laughs) or I did to get us there. That's the cool thing. Like all of the like fudging deconstruction that would have had to go on. So it's more than just the presence. It's like the present of like a whole new brain that we would be having. You know what I mean? Like that's the cool part. Yeah. yeah, Just how far we've come in three years, like coming back to our original starting point. Like that's, I'm so happy to like embrace everybody and every different type of sexuality, every different type of like way people are able to make money in that. Like, I'm just so happy that I don't have to be judgmental anymore. Like what a crock of crap that was. (laughs) Takes a lot of energy, right? (laughs) And like, I always say, like, it really comes down to my brain was indoctrinated that this is the only way to stay alive is keep believing these same things because you'll die without it. And then your brain starts saying like, what if I'm dying with it? Huh? Yeah. And then- you, you make your way out. Well, Molly, Stop letting uh, your brain support that. Molly, after she comes uh, to the club, we should have her on your podcast. Yes. So the, 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 yes, I would uh, love yeah, That'd be a great do you have any Do you have any this. books you recommend that I read between now and then? About like sex work or something? Yeah, just anything that you think this would this would really help move the Mormon brain even more, um, like body and sex positive or something. I would recommend actually a couple pages. I mean, I don't know if you know Jack the Stripper, um, or the other one is Stripper Writer. So those two are one of the like most well educated women I feel like who speak on sex work and have like done a lot for the community. You know, Jack the Stripper, she consulted on Hustlers with Jennifer Lopez and she was in it. And just, um, I would say those two, I don't, I'm trying to think of books. I know that there's books 
on it, but I can't think of any of them. You know, I just kind of lived it. And like, that's the way I learned about things like, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the word, the hierarchy, I think is, I think I'm probably slaughtering it, but just different things about sex work that were, you know, really enlightening to learn and understand. Excellent. Okay. Don't worry. I'll do the work. Okay. And you know what? Message me any questions and I'd be happy to answer any questions for you that would be helpful. Yeah. Cool. Yay. Thanks. Yay. And the Ask the Stripper podcast, she does really good about breaking down a lot of stuff. So, you know, that oh, yeah, there's, too. yeah, you could totally get on TikTok too. Maybe that's what we need to coordinate is helping you get on TikTok. Cause there's like a lot of really popular like stripper accounts on TikTok and people, yeah, people want to be educated. They want to learn more. And I bet you could, yeah, branch out to TikToks. If you ever want to hit me up. Yeah, I have one. I just haven't done anything with it because one of mine was deleted after I posted a video of me fully clothed doing pole dancing and they deleted the account. And so after that, I was like, I don't even know how I would make content for, I guess, just speaking. I could do. I'll tell you, I I could literally like give you, it's a a really weird parameters because they still want to like have it as a kid's app. So yeah, I have another friend that was like a pole dancer she's clothed but she's basically in like a bikini but she had tons of videos that was super popular and then they all just kept going being taken down and then what do you do after that but there's there's lots of other creative ways I think to talk about it and like people people have like weed channels that they're not allowed to have but they call weed oregano instead of weed and so when they just reference it they just like swap out the noun with oregano so like really the world is open to you if you if you want it to be if you want to go that route if you have the time and energy Totally. I want to. Cool. Well, should we do bonus questions? Yeah. All right. The first bonus question is, what does creativity mean to you? What does creativity mean to me? Hmm. I mean, it sparks a lot of ideas of self-expression that can't be like, not just quantified, but described in valid ways to other people that intuitively you know just are valid and what I'm trying to say is like when I think of creativity I think of starting as a little kid and always being told like oh you're so creative and hearing that then hearing that more than other little kids and so feeling like I have something to give the world that is different than other people but still feeling like, even if somebody doesn't validate, even if somebody else says, that's not that creative, that's not that imaginative, like you're boring, you're basic. You still don't win them every time. You still aren't validated in your creativity. It still is like an innate sense that you know that you've made something and had it come into existence that wasn't there before. And you have your personal stamp on it. You've, you've created something that didn't exist before you did it and how that's valid to just one person and that person's you. And it doesn't need a whole lot of excess opinions on it. So the reason that I feel that way is because I've had to work into that in, in, in TikTok because standup is such a different animal um, because you immediately are told whether you're valid or not <laughs> in the standup yeah. sphere, like whether the joke works or it doesn't work. 
But then as you know, like sometimes some jokes are awesome, but it's just that crowd that one time hated it. And then you're told that like that creative process, that thing you did wasn't worthwhile, but still knowing that like, it's okay. Like you still can, you still are capable of beautiful things and wonderful, hilarious things outside of the circumstances that you're put in. So I've had to learn that on TikTok that like, if I have enough channels in my brain that tell me that this is good, it's good enough just for me. And I don't need a whole lot of validation from other people. And when you do that and you lean into that, you become more yourself instead of more performative for other people. Like my most creative best stuff has happened. Not to say that that always happens, but like some of my best things are from the times where it made me laugh and I felt like it'll find its audience and then it does. And then you connect with people that are also kind of strange and have a weird sense of humor too. Anyway, again, really long answers, but ah, ha, ha, I just host for a living. So now I'm just going to talk your ear off. Anyway. No, love it. Uh, the next one is who is your favorite Muppet and why? Oh, that's the funniest thing in the entire world because how do I answer this? Because it's like, like I have, I have an entire obsession, but I don't talk about it because it's like kind of embarrassing, but it's definitely Kermit without a doubt. Kermit and he was like my first crush. Remember we talked about like bisexuality an hour ago. I had like Muppet sexuality for Kermit. Like I love like obsessed since middle school with Kermit the frog. Um, Yeah. Easy. Why? Nice. I know I need to know who your guys are. Since that, are you guys like Muppet fanatics? I am. Uh, Gonzo for me. Ah, yeah, that's part of their their podcast. Not not part of mine, but they did ask me that, and I said Miss Piggy. So I just think that's really funny because obviously you and I are meant to be together. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Miss Piggy though, like she just she doesn't deserve Kermit though. So I'm like now. Like she's like an abusive girlfriend. I'm like, now why do you like her so much, Molly? Now I want to know. She's like, like, that the, Meg, like the Megan the Stallion of her day. You know what I mean? In the sense that like she's a boss ass bitch. She doesn't take shit from anyone. And she like okay. totally dominates this man. But in my theory, I said she's kind of that's part of their sexual play is that she's dominant with him in public, but like in private, she's submissive. Totally. And oh it's yeah. A whole thing. For yeah. sure. <laughs> yes you're you're saying these things to me like I haven't thought of them a thousand times <laughs> no I just feel like uh Kermy he just he's like the perfect man in my opinion but I've since that was what I decided when I was like 13 so I've since advanced in what the perfect man is but he was like my first love really truly I love him so much I do get that yeah oh good okay Molly that just made my day thank you <laughs> <laughs> and then in the movie of your life who would play you oh Kara you're being so vain um like obviously like Jennifer Lawrence but it would be one of those things uh where they're like hey you have to like do somebody who looks like semi like them and not is like a 10 but that would that's the first one that came to mind that would be a dream come true I no, totally I think see that. I could totally yeah. get that. Uh, yeah. Or is it just I have a lesbian crush on Jennifer Lawrence? Who knows? See? Like, it could be anything. <laughs> Let me go deconstruct this later. 
Oh, awesome. So um, if somebody wants to follow your stuff and uh, the podcast, where can they catch everything? So my TikTok is Nuantho, as well as my Instagram is Nuantho. And then I have a YouTube channel uh, also called Nuantho, but I don't, um, I don't have a lot of uh, like super original content there. It's usually just re-uploads of TikToks and compilations of TikToks, but sometimes I try to do original videos there. Um, I just got hired. I sold that to the man, basically what's happened. And I don't have a lot of time for my YouTube channel anymore, but I'm still proud of it. So there's a lot of older, funny videos on there. And then I upload a lot of my TikToks, my more popular TikToks there. And then I have a merch store, just different funny sayings that I've said that people liked, like calling the church a Rocky Mountain Bible fan fiction sex cult. And I also used to make, I used to make, I used to make shirts and stuff in high school. So that's just like another niche of mine of just liking to do design and graphic design. And um, so I have a merch store on Redbubble and I have a bunch of people who have ripped off that design, by the way. So make sure it says Nuanto on it. So the store would be like Redbubble slash Nuanto. And then uh, Mormon Stories, we do like crazy amounts of content every week so that can be found on like whatever wherever you listen to podcasts or the videos are all on youtube under the mormon stories podcast channel then we have a tiktok account for mormon stories of clips that i run and then their their instagram that i also run um yeah and that's where we pump out all kinds of long form interviews uh with mostly people talking about their faith deconstruction leaving the church um, and we have scholars on and lots of interesting different topics and it's kind of a dream job that i just get a talk for a living about Mormonism and make jokes on there and work with John DeLynn and meet a bunch of interesting people. So podcast has been going for 16 years, but it's more popular than ever. And I'm just really grateful to be a part of it. And I think, I think that's it. That's pretty much where I'm at. Where did um, your uh, moniker come from, Nuance though? Uh, to be honest, no shame in saying that I kind of like half stole it. So I will <laughs> give credit. Um, when I was more like conservative on Twitter, there's a guy who has a YouTube channel called Nuance Bro, and he's kind of like more moderate, but I was friends with him. Um, and I always thought that his name was super funny to go by Nuance Bro. And I liked his angle. I liked looking at things nuanced. And so when I was leaving the church, I was kind of just obsessed with that idea of never falling into dogma again, never falling into black and white thinking again and wanting to always remain nuanced. And so when I needed a screen name for joining ex-Mormon Reddit, I thought I'd call myself Nuanto, but it was just a screen name for Reddit. It was like nothing. And then when I needed a TikTok account name, I was like, well, let's try Nuanto again. And then I wasn't making ex-Mormon content. It was just, that was a screen name until people started calling me that. And I was like, love it. I wish people could call me that on Mormon stories, but it's apparently too alienating. We did it on the very first episode I was ever on. And then we got like two comments of like, I can't send this to people now because she's calling herself Nuance Ho and my Mormon family will freak out. And I was like, Jesus Christ. But anyway, <laughs> so yeah. So I'm Nuance Ho on like, I guess you could say my brand, like my stuff. And then I'm Kara on Mormon Stories. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on. Molly, did you want to add anything before we close it out? Mm. No, I just need to meet Kara and become best friends with her. So the only thing you need is my number and a date and time and location. So okay. we'll work on that in post-production. Okay. That's all go. I need. Great. <laughs> Yay. Friendships made here on your creativity. <laughs>
<laughs> All righty. Well, thank you for everybody for uh, joining us. And until next time, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. The podcast is done, man. <laughs>